Hey everybody, it's Marcus Grant from NFL Fantasy Live on the NFL Network. Get ready for some fifth quarter sports talk. It's Will's fifth quarter special, and here's your host, Will Farlow. Welcome into a spooky 21st episode of a sports podcast that captures everything you want to know as the buzzer sounds at the end of any sports game. It's Will Farlow here with you tonight on Halloween night, October 31st, 2018, welcoming listeners to the 21st episode of Will's Fifth Quarter Special. And I'm going to intro my guest co-host who's on for the first time tonight, a normal Illinois native, so didn't have much uh, travel time to get here, Clayton Barakani, who is making his first appearance on the show tonight. So, Clayton, it's good to have you on for your first time, man. How are you feeling? I'm good. I'm honored. Thanks for having me. Oh, it's my pleasure, man. And I think I used the wrong name for myself tonight. As it is Halloween, I'm going to I'm gonna mention my costume today. I went as Superman. We had a director's costume contest over at WZ&D, and I see you went as yourself as a Hoosiers fan. We can see the yep, Hoosier cap yep, there. Yeah, I'm a Hoosier. And I'm going to quote, as uh, Superman says, and, you know, being the Man of Steel, I'm going to fly into with you to some great fifth quarter sports talk we have to look forward to doing tonight as a great treat for the listeners on this special Halloween 2018. We have a very exciting show for everyone tonight as the 20-5 Illinois State Volleyball team comes home to Doug Cowan's court this weekend for their final regular season games. How can the MVC second place Redbirds defeat Drake on Friday night and their final regular season game against first place UNI on Saturday night? The Illinois State football team was handed its first home loss at Hancock Stadium in 2018 after they lost this past Saturday to South Dakota State, 38-28. How does this loss impact the chances for the team's playoff hopes moving forward? We have a special guest appearance tonight from the NFL Network analyst as well for NFL Fantasy Live, Marcus Grant, who will appear tonight and help us cover insight on the 2018 Chicago Bears and what this team needs to do moving forward to maintain control in the NFC North. The Chicago Bears won at Soldier Field Sunday, defeating the visiting New York Jets 24-10. How can Matt Nagy's Bears continue their success against the Buffalo Bills? With the foot injury to team captain Kyle Long, how does this affect the Bears' O-line and running game approach? The Chicago Bulls fell at home in a tough game against the Golden State Warriors. How can the Bulls overcome the injury problems and find more victories this early in the season? Former Chicago White Sox pitcher Chris Sale got the final out as the Boston Red Sox won the 2018 World Series, meaning it's the offseason time once again beginning, and Clayton and I will start coverage for the offseasons of the White Sox, a slight bit of the Cubs, and Clayton's favorite team we're adding tonight, especially for him, the St. Louis Cardinals. The show will close with the fun segment of Will's Sports Movie Moment, which will also feature a special surprise movie moment choice from NFL Network's Marcus Grant. So Clayton, we're going to get started on this I don't know. I didn't plan to have the show at first on Halloween night, but I'm thinking when we're putting it together, I'm like, it's got to be on Halloween. It's just, oh, yeah, it's very special. It's not too spooky on the campus. It was okay. There were some costumes yeah. around there we saw. Um, yeah, walking over here, I saw all sorts of characters. Oh, there's. <laughs> we're gonna be talking about a lot yeah, of characters. I saw a lot but, of Pokemon. I saw a lot of people dressed as Pokemon today. Yeah, Pikachu's a big one. Yeah. Um, Pokemon's a pretty cool thing. And, <laughs> We're going to catch all, I'm going to make that little pun there, yeah. as we're starting to talk about all the talented young women on the Illinois State Volleyball team as they are playing a strong season still continuously going into their last two home games of the regular season this weekend. This is after their last two games on the road this past weekend against Indiana State and Evansville, which they won both, which has led them under head coach Leah Johnson in her second season with the Redbirds to a 20-5 record on the year overall, sustaining a second-place spot at 12-1 in Missouri Valley Conference play. 
The Reverends have two final regular season games this weekend on Doug Collins Court, hosting Drake Friday night and Saturday night, the big matchup all Red Bear fans are looking forward to to end the regular season on senior night against number 25-ranked MVC leader Northern Iowa. Now, Clayton, this is a team that, you know, under a second-year head coach, you didn't, we didn't know what to expect, really. We were all really excited. They played really well last year. But, you know, you've done some coverage with IC Bobby all over at WZ and D. Yeah. Been paying attention to it probably at the games. What are your thoughts to this point of what Coach Johnson and the young women of IC Volleyball have seen in a successful season like this to this point? Yeah, well, obviously, like, they're a very good team. So there's many there's many different reasons why they've been very successful this year. Uh, but two things that I picked out personally was they have a lot of – they're getting a lot of big contributions from, like, their younger players. Uh, one person that I wanted to, like, talk about was, like, Marissa Stockman. And, you know, she's a freshman, but she's playing at a very high level. Uh, she's second on the team in kills. She's only trailing senior alley line. So she's playing great. She's getting a lot of kills. Kills are obviously important in volleyball because that's how you score. And then sophomores, uh, Steph Jankowitz and Kaylee Martin also play huge roles. So when you add those three in with, obviously, the seniors they have in, like, Allie Line and Lexi Varga and Courtney Pence, I mean, they're a very deep team. And I'm glad you mentioned Kaylee Martin as well. I'm going to add that with Mercer Stockman because I was on call for the last home game that was against Missouri State on Scouts Night. Now, I did add some scouting puns in the last episode here because I was a Cub Scout, yeah. so that was kind of fitting. We did that in the broadcast as well, uh, myself and uh, Joey Dwyer. But I'm going to touch on those two players because in that game, you know, the three-set sweep again for the second time this season, Missouri State. Now, we're talking about you and I at the top of the conference, right? Mm-hmm. Last year, that was Missouri State, and Missouri State's yeah. in a total different ballpark yeah, no, right I now. I think they had like a 19 19- season consecutive winning streak last year they did and then the Redbirds broke it both and just the reason I'm bringing up that game you know the last time at home is that's where we saw I think I wouldn't say the breakout because I think she's both players have been you know doing great early in the season but I think it was the big home game for both Marissa Stockman and Kayla Martin but Marissa Stockman was running the show on the kills I mean you're talking about some of these veterans it's undoubtedly not it's definitely easy to talk about those five seniors right now: Lexi Wallen, Jordan Weatherless, Allie Lyon, Courtney Pence, and Lexi Varga. It's just those names. But the way we're seeing this team right now, in my view, and I'm sure you can agree that there's a lot of newcomers that have stepped up. Ella Francis, um, I can see you're checking out some of the players right now just to prepare for my next question here. But you know, Ella Francis, Steph Jankowitz, who, in my opinion, is I'm not going to say she is this in this role, but I think she is, in my opinion. She's the best setter in the Missouri Valley Conference. I'm going to make that bold claim because of the stats I've seen from her consistently, and we saw that in the game. She's not just, you know, getting the ball to her teammates, setting up for them to get the kill or get the service ace, you know, in good volleyball terms there to use in that point, but she's we've seen her put it over the net herself, you know, especially at home, you know, a few weeks ago on the road, you know, they get three-game sweep against Indiana State. Five sets against Evansville. It's a really close game. But this next question, I'm sure you've, you know, we've both been looking at these two matchups. You know, the Redbirds are one loss off you and I. Yeah, and you and I is very good this year. But, I mean, well, we got swept by them early in the season. It was at you and I. I think it's going to be a totally different game getting them in Redbird Arena. You know, we're going to have the home crowd. It's going to be senior night. So I just think the emotions are going to be, I think I think tensions are going to be high that night, and I think we could definitely come out with that victory. It's definitely going to be close, so don't get me wrong. I could easily see this. And that's another thing. Illinois State's only been to one five-setter, and it was actually their last game. It was against Evansville. 
Um, but that's not to say they haven't had like close sets. They've played a lot of close sets, and their senior leadership has definitely helped them through a lot of that because they've they've won a lot of three three O's three one games. Yeah. Um, but like some of the sets within those games did come down to like twenty five twenty three. So like they were still close. Like the Redbirds were under pressure. Uh, but I think like the seniors have just done a really good job of keeping everybody's head straight uh, in those pressure moments. And I gotta tell you, good job as well. You're continuing to do your homework before the show. Like I love that for my guest co-hosts. So we appreciate that on the show. Uh, how well you prepared tonight. We gotta give you credit for that right now. But we still have to talk about Drake, of course. But the yeah. the question being, what will the Redbirds end with the regular season? But let's say they end up in second place. You know, they move forward in the playoffs. They get to a title game, and maybe they fall short by one set. This is still an incredible season for a team. Oh, they've and already had an amazing It was incredible. And I, I'm, I'm not going to say I told you so, but I actually predicted so many times to people at ZND on campus when they started. This is after I saw that exhibition game we all enjoyed against DePaul, you know, when the Redbirds had more road games than we've seen, I've seen in a few years in my time at ISU. You know, all those tournaments and stuff. It prepared them. You know, the way we talked to, I talked to Coach who – um, was featured on the show just a few weeks ago or so. But this team is very competitive. They fight in games, but that's the thing that's the most exciting to watch. You know, even if they're not leading, uh, I'm going to go back to the Indiana State game from when I saw. They had some close sets. They've had a lot of close sets at this part of the year in conference play because teams are saying, hey, we know Illinois State can play, so we're going to see how far we can make them go in the set, you know, maybe point differential-wise, maybe it's a bunch of ties back and forth like we've seen in, you know, very competitive games with, solid team. So if you had to make two predictions, I'm going to make two quick ones. You can make yours after. I'm going to predict against Drake. I don't, I'm not going to be discounting Drake, but uh, even though it is 80s night, we're not going to say it's going to be throwback, throwback, you know, history, you know, victories or set victories. But I have the birds getting it in three sets. Uh, I think it's going to be a very close set three because this is a rubber team that – and you, you, you were – at some of those home games, I'm sure, the last few weekends yeah. or so. They're, that set one, and just even after talking to Coach, she agreed. Um, they were really close first two sets. And I think that's going to change. Obviously, it's changed because the Redbirds swept after that game against Indiana State. And then the five in Evansville that you mentioned. It, I think it's going to be three sets because what the Redbirds need to do is however they play in that Drake game, Friday night is going to carry into what they do on Saturday night, how they prepare for it after Friday night, the game plan, the mindset, men mental planning is very important. I mean, they always say in sports physicality is important, but I feel like the mental part of it is probably, in my opinion, the most important. So I'm predicting three sets against Drake and the Redbirds fell to United three sets. Yep. And that was that on the road to United. I think it's going to change around a little bit. I'm going to call a little switcheroo on this one. The Redbirds taking you and I down, but I think it's going to be five sets, 15 to 10. I'm going to call it a really close game because those are two talented teams. But the Redbirds, I'm going to quote Rocky Street on this one. It's one of my favorites. We're both diehard Rocky fans on this show tonight. Uh, but the, the Redbirds have that eye. You know, uh, you and I is at the top. They're like, oh, we could take the Birds. You know, I think we'll be able to take them down. And, you know, maybe they don't think that. Maybe they're like, oh, we got to really prepare for this. But I think... The Redbirds are going to have more of the confidence and the determination, I think is the right word, determination to go into this and take this game. Not just, you know, for the team, not with the seniors, but it's being their last regular season game. But this team has such great chemistry, especially with their head coach, the rapport those players have with her. It's it's incredible. You know, it's obviously translated to the field, but 
I'm going to call in five sets. Uh, the Birds uh, beat you and I going to the playoffs. So, Clayton, what are your two predictions yeah, for those games? You know, you basically actually just said, like, the two main things that I want to hit on. The Drake game is huge. If you lose that game, it's going to take a lot of air out of the team. you got to get that one done. I think they will get that one done. I think it's going to be 3-0 as well. At worst, three, at worst, 3-1. I don't see it going 5. Um, and then coming into the UNI game, I just think with that chemistry, you said these girls are going to fight hard for these seniors. These seniors are obviously going to fight hard. It's their last home game or home regular season game, I guess. Um, so they're going to want to get that done, and I definitely see them uh, pulling it out. I think it's going to be close. I also think it's going to be five sets. I would say something around like 15 to, you know, like double, like 10, 11, 12 for you and I. 12. That's a very bold claim yeah, there, Clayton. Very I, I like that prediction. Yeah. So as we mentioned, the Redbirds have two. This isn't their final regular season matchups, but these are the two final regular season games at Redbird Arena on Doug Collins Court. 7 p.m. first serve on Friday night against the Drake Bulldogs. That is ladies' night themed and 80s night. So fans are going to the game, wear some 80s gear, and uh, don't beat it. I'm going to quote Michael Jackson there because that's 80s, Clayton. Yeah, we got to quote yeah, a little MJ yeah. there. Don't uh, beat it out of the eyeball too quick that weekend as we have the big matchup against you and I on senior night. I will also have the pleasure to call my final uh, broadcast for Redbird Vival as I graduate already in five weeks. Yeah, God, awesome. it feels like senior night for you, senior night for them. And... Uh, I'm just excited to call that type of yeah. matchup. So you can hear that at WZND.com and uh, 103.3 uh, WZND the Pulse River Nation. And the we're going to mention the road games coming up as well, Clayton, after that. November 9th, uh, the following Friday from the Drake game, a week from Friday, they will play at Loyola Chicago in Gentile Arena. Uh, then they go to Valpo that next Saturday for a 7 p.m. first serve. Uh, on the road against Crusaders. So they end the regular season a battle for I-74, but it's in Peoria in the Civic Center against the Bradley Braves. The Missouri Valley Conference Tournament, which will be covered on the 22nd episode, we'll do some pre-planning you know, for that. It'll be from November 22nd to the 24th, so Thanksgiving weekend. But now we're going to head into the next part of the Illinois State sports extravaganza tonight. Illinois State football, we're going to touch on their recent loss at home against South Dakota State, the Jackrabbits, while wow, they uh, jacked themselves right into a victory there, Clayton, as they won over the Birds 38-28. to But I'm going to throw it in right now while we're talking about this game. And I, I ran into this player on campus, and uh, I believe it was in the dining hall. You know, I was just, you know, eating my food like usual and everything, minding my own business. But when I walked out, I saw our backup quarterback, Jake Colby, there, right? Yeah. You know, he's just sitting there. looked like he was prepping for the next game. And I go up to him, and I said, incredible second half, because that was probably – now, we've seen some great things from him. Now, no quarterback's ever going to be perfect. They usually will all have their flaws. Even, you know, they talk about Patrick Mahomes. The guy still has his flaws over in the National Football yeah. League. We've seen collegiate quarterbacks with that, too. But Jake Colby carries really good veteran pedigree. You know, the Redbirds were down 20, like 35 points. They were down a lot, yeah. They, they were down quite a bit. in the fourth quarter and still lost by 10. Exactly. But they only had seven points to South Dakota State's 35 in the first half, and Roxback said, hey, Colby, you know, Brady Davis is doing great for us this year, but this is why we have you here in this position. You know, we can depend on you. You're our captain. And a lot of those players back him up 100%. Brady Davis and him are just the two quarterbacks. We refer to it here in Illinois State as the two quarterbacks on the football team. And I love that, you know, because most teams will say, we have this start, we have this backup. But I think that two-quarterback mentality is great because that puts the team in a really good spot. But we got to give Jake Colby a – Shout out of thanks for that second half. Uh, the whole team just surrounded behind him in that second half after, a, 
I think it was a, probably a really good halftime pep talk from Coach Brock's back and got this team close to a victory. But I think it was the first half that kind of took them over. And I'm, I'm going to open it up to you in a second here, Clayton, to your thoughts. But the running game, I thought, was very well stopped. You know, I, yes, I was very, telling yeah. my parents, you know, it was family weekend, so my mom and dad, Redbird alums, were with me at the game. Uh, incredible time there. Had my new Redbird football jersey sporting there. But they that defense, I was telling my dad, I'm like, and he agreed with me, South Dakota State's defense just really shut down the run game. And if you shut down the Redbird run game, they do have receiving, but it seemed like South Dakota State also had a pretty well put together secondary. The way they're covering our receivers, like Schnell did not get the ball very much. And if he did, it was maybe a close drop pass or a pass that was maybe just a bit overthrown. Uh, but what are your opening thoughts on that Redbird loss uh, this past Saturday and maybe how it will impact the playoff hopes for uh, Spax Redbirds? Uh, so it definitely hurts the Redbirds. I definitely still think they are in the playoff picture. I think they're maybe like you could put them at the last four in currently. Okay. Uh, they definitely can't lose again in my opinion. But as long as they take care of business on the way out, I still think that they're in. Um, and, you know, as you allude, I mean, South Dakota State, they were ranked 7th coming into the game. We were ranked ninth, So, I mean, it was it was always going to be a tough game. As you alluded to, they shut down the run game. We actually averaged 2.8 yards per carry on the day. And Jake Colby averaged 9 yards per carry. So that's that's rushing yards. Jake Colby's our new uh, four-star running back. Yeah, there, but boy. that just shows how little our actual running backs did. Like, they're all averaging, like, James Robinson averaged 0.8 yards per carry on the day on 13 carries. Like, that can't happen. Um, in the five games that the Redbirds actually have won this year, they've averaged 5.85 yards per carry, um, opposed to the 4.1 yards per carry in their three losses. So I think that's a big key for the offense. I think that gets them a lot more first downs. It sustains their drives. Um, they got to get that, they got to get that run game going again uh, to bounce back from this like two game losing streak that they're currently on. And for the defense, though, however. I think the defense is in a good spot. I, I, I'm not panicking yet on the defense. I have defense. to agree with you on that yeah. defense. I like what I'm seeing yeah. after those veterans left. Yeah, they gave up the 21 points in the third quarter, which was or in the second quarter, excuse me, which was kind of the dagger that really separated us them from us in the game. But, I mean, other than that, they only let up seven points in the, se- in the second half, I believe. And the game before against North Dakota State, they only let up 28 total, and that's on the road. And I, I don't think that's bad. I mean, North Dakota State is the clear favorite to win the FCS. So, I mean, if you're going to go there and let up 28, I think that's honestly, I'll take that performance. Yeah, I'm going to take that as well. And I know you were comparing some of the, the past game at North Dakota State to the second half, but I'm also going to compare, in my view, the uh, Missouri State game that we saw, that 24-21 loss the Rebels had on the road. Yeah. That was their first loss of the year, yeah. um, home or road uh, matchups uh, overall. But that second half in that game as well, it was – the 21 points exactly, but not exactly in each quarter, all one quarter. It was 14 points in that third quarter and then seven in the fourth quarter, if I'm correct. And that was similar to what happened Saturday. But we still saw some bright spots from the Redbird team. I was talking uh, to you know my dad, mom, my dad after the game about this. A Redbird receiver that's I think made it his own. You know, after Christian Gibbs, you know, graduated last year. A lot of respect for the Redbird football players that graduated last year. A lot of great talent the last few years to come through the program and out to where they're, some of them are playing in the National Football League, like Devontae Harris, who yep. I, I'm excited to see what he does in his Bengals career there. But Braxton Haley is one that we've been watching and talked a lot about on the show, what he's been able to do in the slot, in the route, wherever. Brock, Brock Speck will put these guys in a lot of different spots. 
Uh, tight end Tyre Pekovich did a really good job, I think. But the receiver I was really paying attention to, he had one of the some of the main deep catches, a uh, few for a touchdown of those 21 points in the first half that were or in the second half. A uh, few of those touchdowns in the second half that were just really key was uh, Andrew Egger. Uh, yeah. he, he, he's really got some good size and just uses it down the field, a good threat, along with Spencer Schnell, the Redbird senior. But I'm with you on the run game 100%. That run game is still as strong as it can be. But the Redbirds, I think, and I'm sure they're doing this in practice. They always do this in practice. You know, they have a new receiver coach, so he's still probably, he's got a connection there. But I think it's still maybe in the works, even at this part of the year, just because it's not going to happen overnight. Yeah. I think they need to have a plan B if those running backs are shut down once again by a defense. You know, we might see that against you and I uh, Saturday, Oregon State the next week, or our final home game, uh, Youngstown State next month. But I think that the Redbirds can continue consistent play, but this is a team that started off the season undefeated. They're in a different situation now, but 5-3 and three is a way better record than what we had last season. It's a better situation. You know, they won early. They've won on the road. I mean, that Colorado State game was a big one, but... I don't think this team's done yet. They, nope. it, it, we talked about it with volleyball actually not too long ago here tonight, but that drive this team has, determination. Each coach of those two teams knows what they're doing. And I'm gonna yeah. give it to you on this. The team started off the season we just I just mentioned undefeated and consistent play. How can the Redbirds get back to the strong offense and continued good defensive pressure on the road Saturday against the UNI Panthers? I guess uh, whoever scheduled these games knew, hey, you and I should play. Uh, Football at home and you and I, and then you and I volleyball coming to ISU. I love how that spooky connection was cooked up. Yeah. But what are your thoughts for uh, what they need to do for Saturday? Yeah, for Saturday, I think that I don't want to put it all on the running backs. I think the offensive line got a little bit. Uh, they got outplayed uh, last weekend by South Dakota State, but so I think they need to win more battles down there. But the running the running game definitely needs to pick it up. They need to be more around that six yards per carry. That would be huge for them. And on defense. I just want to see better execution. They're, they're playing hard. You can tell the guy they're putting it all out there on the field every week. But sometimes the execution just isn't quite there. And if it's there, they're going to be a very tough defense to score on. And we're talking about the upcoming matchups. As we just mentioned, the Illinois State Redbird football team heads on the road this weekend. A 1 p.m. kickoff Saturday afternoon from Cedar Falls, Iowa. That game Following that, the Redbirds on November 10th will head for a noon kickoff against the Indiana State Sycamores. Now we're going to head into the professional sports segment, and we did this on the last one, but there's so much to do about the Bears. I want to make sure I'm getting really great insight, along with both of us. We both know a lot about the Bears, so we're both ready for that, yeah. but we have somebody that's even more experienced that's going to help us tonight. It is Marcus Grant of the NFL Network and NFL Fantasy Live Analyst. So the Chicago Bears are sitting in first place in the NFC North under new head coach Matt Nagy, sporting a 4-3 record after this past Sunday's victory against the New York Jets. The Bears have a great set of challenging games still ahead in their schedule, along with various questions to answer before the latter parts of the regular season. I spoke to a man that had great insight on the new Chicago Bears in 2018 and what they are as a team and their identity at this point. Marcus Grant spent time at a college radio station finding a passion for sports to pair with his talent in news and journalism. After a few years calling minor league baseball in California, Grant found a great opportunity to join the NFL Network as Michael Fabiano gave him the opportunity of a lifetime and gave him the chance to join as a fantasy analyst and a role on the daily show NFL Fantasy Live. Marcus Grant is a well-respected analyst for the NFL show along with his partners Akbar, Abijah Meal, Adam Rank, Cynthia Freeland, 
Mark Istook and Michael Fabiano along with Matt Money Smith and others he works with within the show and the NFL Network. From his Things I Learned articles to helping the average sports fan, aspiring college students wanting to work in sports media by inspiring them, and helping the average fantasy football fan set a lineup before Sunday. Grant plays an important role in the lives of football fans in America. Mr. Grant has great insight into the NFL and where teams are headed with the right identity. I spoke to NFL Network analyst for NFL Fantasy Live, Marcus Grant himself, as he explained his thoughts on his career to this point, the path into 2018 for the Chicago Bears, and what the team needs to do to find strong, contentious success moving forward. Marcus Grant, first off, welcome to Will's Core Special. It's a sports podcast that, you know, I started last year as an aspiring sports broadcaster that um, is for the average sports fan, there's a lot of people out there that love sports, whether it be football, baseball, or even soccer, and just enjoy hearing different perspectives. So just thank you for being a part of this. Oh, I'm, I'm appreciative, man. I thank you for the invite. So there's a lot of things going on with the Chicago Bears, but first off, we want to learn a little bit more about you. So if you can kind of tell me what got you started in the area of sports broadcast and uh, being an analyst for NFL Network. Yeah, uh, well, I, I started, I was a, a journalism major in, in college, uh, broadcast, and originally thought I wanted to do news, but you know, when I when I was in school, I ended up working at the student radio station as part of the sports staff and realized that I just I just had more of a passion and an energy for doing sports. So uh, I spent a lot of time as a writer. I spent a couple of years uh, broadcasting minor league baseball on the radio, um, and uh, just generally kind of fell into it. Was did a lot of radio for a long time, and was actually working in radio. Lost my radio job, and was told by a friend and a former coworker that I should apply for something at the NFL. That they're always looking for people. So I sent out some some resumes, and uh, I was fortunate enough to get a phone call from Michael Fabiano, who uh, asked if I wanted to write about fantasy football, and I said yes. And here I am, you know, seven years later. Been fortunate enough to, to be on TV talking about fantasy. It's been great. And I, I just have to pick it out. Um, student radio station, I'm doing that as well at WZD in my fifth and final semester, graduating in five weeks. But uh, that's a really great journey. It, it's definitely something that will inspire any average college student going into the field. And speaking of field, I'm just going to tie it in with the Bears. Um, there's a lot of things going on right now. This is a team that no one – did, we didn't know what to expect, you know, with the new head coach and Matt Nagy, um, you know, Vic Fangio coming back. But with new coaching staff and then suddenly the Camille, Khalil Mack trade comes right before the Green Bay primetime matchup in week one. And I just want to get your take on it, maybe what you've seen from, you know, the off season, the start of the season to this point that you've liked the most about this new uh, Chicago Bears team under Matt Nagy. Well, I think the biggest thing is that they really went out and realized that they had to put pieces around Mitchell Trubisky. And, you know, that that's the question is whether or not he really is going to be the franchise quarterback that they believe he will be. But they certainly weren't going to find that out last year. They just didn't have enough pieces around him in the passing game to actually make that happen. Also, you know, it just was – the offense was, wasn't really very productive or creative under John Fox. I don't think that anybody's going to dispute that. So they went out this offseason – and really made it a point to upgrade the offense. They went out and got Taylor Gabriel. They bring in Allen Robinson. They go get Trey Burton. They really tried to put some pieces around Mitchell Trubisky. Then they bring in a head coach that is very creative, that is very innovative in what he wants to do. And I think that really set the tone for how this team was going to operate. And then on top of it, to go out and swing that deal for Khalil Mack, 
to bring him in and, and bolster what was already a pretty good defense and sort of take it to the next level, I think that really signifies that this is a franchise that is on the turn and is really going to go for it in a division that certainly this year it, it looks wide open. I mean, the Vikings have struggled. The Packers uh, have been up and down. The Lions certainly don't scare anyone. So there is an opportunity for the Bears to go out here and really kind of take control of this, this division for the next few years if they make some good moves. Yeah, and opportunity is something I've been paying attention to as well, Marcus. Just the way the division looks, just taking a look at it, the Bears are still respectively in first place after their win over the Jets Sunday, but it doesn't look like the Vikings and Green Bay are going to be going away. I think it's going to be really interesting the way it plays out, but you touched on Mitchell Trubisky, and we've talked a lot about on the show since the preseason how he's fitted with some of these new receivers because it's not going to take – it's not going to happen overnight, this rapport with – you know, guys like Trey Burton, Taylor Gabriel, and Allen Robinson as well. But what have you liked in Mitchell Trubisky, not just as a person, but as the hopeful longtime franchise quarterback the Bears have been waiting for? Well, I, I do like that he certainly is not afraid. I mean, he's, he is aggressive. He's going to go out there and make plays. Also, the fact that his mobility will help a lot, and we've seen that the last couple of weeks, uh, his ability to get out of the pocket, to make plays with his legs, to kind of extend plays, in today's NFL, I think that that's essential. You can't really stand back there and be a statue. I mean, unless you are, you know, a Tom Brady type, it's just hard to do that. So the fact that Trubisky can get out of the pocket and move a little bit, uh, I think is certainly encouraging. So there are there are some signs there. I think you want him to grow into a little bit more of a, a complete passer. I think he makes some good throws. He makes some very questionable decisions at times as well. But if you can groom him and sort of develop him into a more accurate and consistent passer, then I think you really have something going in that offense. And I'm going to go back to the offense here, Marcus. I mean, the defense, it's – I don't know what works, but the way the defense is played this year, it's just credit to Vic Fangio, his staff, those players, just the way they're meshing together, even real Quan Smith, who's going to be exciting for Bears fans at Soldier Field for years. But – has there been maybe a player, you know, after the Jets win 24-10, just what were your thoughts after that, you know, Patriots lost the Bears, go to back to Soldier Field, beat the Jets, and then have the Buffalo Bills coming up, a young quarterback. They're going to be – we don't know for sure if Josh Allen's going to start that game, but is there maybe an offensive piece that you haven't seen much of this year um, that you want to see against uh, the Bills? Well, I'd like to see more of Anthony Miller. You know, I know that he's been he's been banged up a little bit. He's come back the last couple of weeks, and it looks like he's starting to build something with Trubisky. And so I think that's really interesting. Because, you know, as I mentioned, talked about Robinson and Gabriel and those guys at the wide receiver position. But I think, you know, if, if you can develop Anthony Miller into something, he really will have a role in this offense. And there's just so many pieces that are kind of moving around here that I think can be productive. But Miller, we've seen him make some plays, and that's a guy that I think I'd like to see more of going forward. And I just have one final question for you. Just after that, it's ex- going to be exciting to see with this fair schedule. I'm sure you can agree. Is uh, they didn't know we didn't know what we were going to see against the Patriots, but a respectable seven point deficit, you know, against a very well experienced uh, coach team by Bill Belichick, Tom Brady, that incredible receiving core. I'm sure the Bears fans are hoping that the Bears have one similar to Belichick's weapons there. But you know, they have the Bills coming up this su- next Sunday. You know, November 11th. They- play Detroit, then the Vikings in Detroit again, and Rams in next month in December. What are your thoughts with the Bears' identity you've seen this year? Because with a new coach, it's key for a team to develop a really good identity. We saw it last year with, you know, Sean McVay and the L.A. Rams. But how do you feel like this Bears team can improve their identity and their winning chances the way the schedule is looking uh, the rest of the way? 
Well, I think right now the identity for this team is still on the defensive side of the ball. I mean, I think with, you know, obviously having a healthy Khalil Mack is going to be key, but uh, this team can really get after the quarterback, and I think that's sort of where it starts. Offensively, I think they're still trying to find some things a little bit, but I do think, you know, it all kind of is going to go as far as Mitch Trubisky can take them offensively. I, I like what they've done with uh, Tariq Cohen. I thought coming into the season that he could sort of be a new version of Tyreek Hill, of what Tyreek Hill was for Matt Nagy in Kansas City. And I think we started to see that the last few weeks. They're getting him involved. They're moving him around the formation. They're getting him the ball in space and allowing him to make plays. So I think that's a big start there. Now I think the next thing is to kind of get those receivers going a little bit more. We haven't seen Allen Robinson really have one of those big games. Uh, you know, Taylor Gabriel has had some nice games, but he hasn't been it consistently. T- uh, Trey Burton hasn't really been as much involved as I thought he would be. So I think it's just kind of getting Trubisky comfortable, getting him to get the ball out to his weapons a little bit more, and, and you know, seeing what can happen from there. But I think until then – as long as the defense can keep them close in games, then that offense is good enough to, go, to make a couple of plays and, and steal a few games for you down the stretch. And I'm gonna, I'm just gonna add another question there. You kind of gave it to me right in that great response there um, about the run game with uh, Tree Cohen. I think he's doing a really great job. The kid can just run. There's no question about that. On that open 70 yard and then touchdown he had against the Jets Sunday, but. My question is kind of how Matt Nagy is going to continue to try and get both Cohen and Howard developed. I mean, you know, not even thinking fantasy, just the team as a whole. What do you think can maybe happen moving forward with that run game with those two great pieces? Well, I think they can find a way to have them both coexist. And, you know, one of the things that I'm lucky enough to work with Maurice Jones-Drew, who had a great NFL career, and one of the things he mentioned to me, uh, he's mentioned it on our show a couple of times as well, is that, the Bears will start to use Jordan Howard a little bit more when we get later in the season, when the weather gets cold and it gets nasty there at Soldier Field and teams don't want to be there and, and having to try to tackle a big running back, that's when Jordan Howard is really going to excel. So I think at some point later in the year when it gets harder to throw the football consistently, when you can't necessarily you know, chuck it downfield all the time, I think that's when you start to see Jordan Howard really shine in this offense. So, you know, right now I know it's frustrating because he has not performed, I think, the way a lot of people would have expected, but I do think that's coming later. And there's a lot coming up later in this season. It's very exciting uh, for Bears fans who, and you guys as well, I'm sure, covering the Bears. I'm sure you – I know Adam Rank's a uh, big Bears fan, so we have to get – I have to give him that shout-out. I, I know you guys have talked a lot about that with him and his uh, Bears fandom. But uh, I just want to thank you so much, Marcus, uh, for being a part of this show and just – you know, you're inspiring college students. You know, that story you talked about earlier here in the interview about your journey from working at a college radio station to in journalism to where you're at now. It's going to be very inspiring for college students as well as to me hearing that. So thank you so much for your time tonight to be part of the fifth quarter sports talk. And hopefully you'll be uh, checking this out moving forward because there's a lot of exciting things coming up. Just, just the beginning like that Bears team. So thank you Great. so much for being a part of this show. It sounds great. I appreciate the invite. I enjoyed it. So, Clayton, that was a big interview. Probably the biggest you know, interview as a host and creator I've been able to do for this show. It was very exciting. Uh, we actually talked about after at our news and sports meeting Monday night because um, I interviewed him right before that. And it was funny. You might get a kick out of this. I mentioned what we were doing at the meeting that night. We were scheduling the basketball game. So he, he got a kick. Mark's got a kick out of that. And I just found it really exciting. And I shared it with a few of our team members. I think it was Anthony Ferretti. I told Joey Dwyer, Scott Rosal, and you when I ran into you. 
that he worked at a college radio station. I found that to be really cool yeah, because, awesome. well, yeah, even our good friend Mark Grody over at uh, 670 Score, it's cool to see where these guys started, you know, because it makes us feel like, you know, both aspiring broadcasters, wherever we want to go in the field, it just helps us feel like one of them, yeah, you know, like we can get to that right point. Path, yeah. Exactly. Yep. I love what you're thinking there. And he had a lot of good things to say about the Bears, uh, not just from a fan standpoint. Obviously, that means he's going to have incredible statistical you know, analysis, thoughts, and views. But, you know, he's called games before in sports. So he kind of has an idea of what he likes to see and uh, what his expectations are. But what are your thoughts on the Bears from that close week one loss? Yeah, I got to go all the way back to week one. <laughs> just, we talked about it with Mark Grody on the show um, about how, like, the team prepared a certain way after that. And they, I think they did that after the Patriots, too. That was kind of like, you know, in a play, they have three acts. I, I'm going to put that in the NFL season uh, schedule terms. This was like act two, where they come back and they get a game plan on how to conquer the rest of the season, the NFC North, the way the Bears are right now, four and three. But after that close week one loss to Green Bay, to this point, going into week nine, what do the Bears need to do to sustain first place in the NFC North? What have you seen even to this point that you've liked the most about this new team? I just think that the Bears, so far, they've consistently been growing. They've been getting better each game, with maybe the exception of the Miami game. The Miami game was a little bit of a of a blunder there. We're not going to talk about with that. With the exception that of that Miami game, it seems like we've been getting better as the season's gone on each game. I know we lost to the Patriots, but that's always going to be a tough game, even when you're even when you're in Chicago. It's the Patriots. They're going to be hard to beat. Um, and I came into the season, I wasn't super high on Mitchell Trubisky myself. But he's showing that he's he's really letting it loose now. I think Matt Nagy also he can't with that with that Packers loss. I think he got too conservative too quick. You know, you're playing Aaron Rodgers, you can't get the conservative that quick. He learned from his mistakes, and I think these players are really starting to trust Matt Nagy to really put them in positions to win game in and game out as long as they perform. And we we have to mention performance on Mitch's uh, pregame ent- entrance. I know uh, we both enjoyed that. I'm sure. Yeah. Uh, if any of the listeners on the show haven't heard about what uh, Mitchell Trubisky did pre-Halloween, of course, for that Sunday game, you know, a lot of players like to dress up, maybe, like, you know, I'm going to quote what Joe Madden does with his Cub players over there. Of course, we're both Sox and Cardinal here, so we're not. Mitch Trubisky definitely cemented himself as a franchise QB, even more Bears fans that weren't so sure can back now as he dressed up going into the locker room in the Soldier Field as Mike Dicka. He even went into the post game as Dicka, still with the beard, still with the classic yeah. sweater vest. When I saw that, I just, I've already been a huge Mr. Bisky fan. I'm going to say right there, I'm a huge Mr. Bisky fan. Back this guy till the end of his Bears career when he gets like a big, I'm not going to say what he's going to get because I don't want to like get, uh, I told I told you so down the road, but I think it's incredible. You know, it just stands out to Bears fans. It makes them feel that he's not just involved with the team, you know, committed to this team. You know, is it one of its, pretty much its face, but that he cares about the history. I mean, you remember in that first presser, he's quoting Bears history. He was wearing Bears history that day. Yeah, I think it really shows his character, too, because obviously, like, it's, like, the season's intense, you know, they're like 500, so it's an intense moment, but he's still got, he's still got that funniness about him, like, he's still got... He comes into the game dressed up as legend, Mike, Mike Dicka. So, I mean, Duck coach. he's obviously having fun. He's obviously having fun out there, even though games are tight, tensions are high. Uh, so, you like to see that. We got to talk about it. It's kind of the elephant in the room here, Clayton. Uh, Bears player that I think is probably one of the best offensive linemen I've ever heard of to wear a Chicago Bears uniform. Uh, along with Owen Cruz, we can't forget him, of course. Uh, one of the best centers in the NFL. But a guy next to Owen Cruz. 
is uh, one of the team captains, Kyle Long. He is out for six to eight weeks with a foot injury. In your view, how badly could this impact not just the Bears' line, but a good offensive line impacts a run game? And now we're finally starting to see Jordan Howard and Tariq Cohen evenly meshing up. Marcus Grant and I were talking about that, how eventually that's going to happen. And when it's getting colder out, I'm going to quote Marcus Grant here. I'm going to give him the credit for what he said on this. When it gets colder out, you're going to go to the bigger running back, you know, the power run more guy. That's going to be Jordan Howard. And I, a lot of Bears fans have been wondering what's going on. I think it's just the way they need to more even it out. And that's going to happen with a new coach. You're going to have those small flaws, but both guys still contributing well. But this O-line loss, you know, you're going to get to see a new rookie in James Daniels who took round two. But how does this impact the Bears' O-line and run game approach moving forward? Yeah, all right. And don't get me wrong here. I love Kyle Long. I, I think he's a great player. He, he's very talented. I think he's our best offensive lineman when he's healthy and out there. But I also think that this injury isn't going to affect us a whole lot. I think Matt Nagy's going to be able to keep the defense on their heels. We're not just going to be getting bum rushed. You know, we're gonna we're gonna be able to win some one-on-one battles still without Kyle Long in the line. And and this this is kind of becoming frequent now for Kyle Long. In the last two seasons, he hasn't played more than nine games in either. So we're 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 kind of used to him not being out there at this point. So I think there's already a little bit of a system in place, even with the new coach. Like guys know what they're gonna do now. And even with him not out there in the in those two seasons, Jordan Howard still rushed for over 1,100 yards. So I don't, I didn't see it affecting him the last two years. I, hopefully it doesn't affect him this year. Uh, but I guess we'll just have to wait and see. Wait and see it is, and we also have to wait and see what happens Sunday. But it might be I'm not gonna say a complete gift for the Chicago Bears, but they're gonna see a quarterback. They were almost projected to get in the draft before they went and got Mitch. Thank God we got Mr. Bisky and moved up. Thank you Ryan Pace for that. But Nathan Peterman will be the new starting quarterback Sunday for the Buffalo Bills when they come into Soldier Field Sunday against the NFC North first play Chicago Bears. And he's a guy that throws a lot of picks. That's yeah, gonna go I to, to say it, but that, that's gonna go to Kyle Fuller, the secondary. And, uh, but this is a Buffalo Bills team that can really play defense. I mean, this is a offense that I think I think Josh Allen's gonna have a really good career. We saw him do some really good things in college in Wyoming. He's had some pretty good games, you know, when they took down the Vikings earlier this year. But this is a team in Buffalo that's going to be trying to get a lot of their points. I'm going to compare it to that Cardinals game. You know, we saw an offense that was still very young, you know, another young quarterback in Josh Rosen, some young player pieces, a decent O-line, but they were more defensively strong under defensive mind Steve Wilkes, and they got to the Bears by defense, and that's how they got most of their points, then bringing out the offense in the second half to do that. I think that's what we could see against the Bills. But I do have the Bears pulling that game out as well, uh, getting a solid victory going into a week after. And I think that's a matchup Steve Cease, uh, myself, and you're going to probably be talking a lot about Bears, uh, Lions fans there, as they play the Lions the first <laughs> yeah. of two. But, Mr. Clayton, what are your predictions against the Buffalo Bills Sunday? I got the Bears, I'm not going to say bull rushing. I think it's going to be pretty, like, a match of both defenses. But it's going to be 36-21 to 21, Chicago Bears. See, I'm going to say, like, I, I think this is going to be, I think we're going to hammer them. I, I, I honestly, I don't see the Bills scoring more than 10 points. It's kind of a hot take right there because, I mean, 10 points is not a lot. But, I mean, I don't see their offense being able to consistently pick up first downs. I think they're going to go three and out a lot. I mean, we just let, I mean, they're very similar to the Jets in my opinion. I think the Jets even have a better QB in Sam Darnold, and we only have 10 <laughs> points to the Jets. So, I mean, if we contain Shady then I don't see a way that the Bills really score 10 points unless we're letting up 14 points again on, like, special teams, which I just don't see that happening. I think I think they'll practice that this, this week, and they'll come out much stronger on special teams. 
And as we mentioned, the Chicago Bears are playing on the road against the Buffalo Bills. And I did a little bit of digging, you know, a little bit of research uh, to prepare even more for this one because it was a really interesting fact. I just wanted to make sure I had it down correctly. We might see Coyle Mack, but I think it's in the best Bears' interest we don't. A lot of analysts have agreed, and I think Nagy does as well, because they gave this talented young man a six-year, $141 million. He's been playing great, but they've been approaching it really good, you know, last week, keeping him out. I think he's going to be right in two weeks, and this is a Bears team we're going to see in the playoffs this year, I believe. I think they're going to really compete. I think it might even come down. I'm not going to – this is a bit early of a prediction, but I think the Bears and Rams are going to battle it out later in the playoffs. I yeah. cannot wait to see yeah. that in one of those championship games. But I think that keeping Khalil Mack out, even though he did go to the college in Buffalo, near Buffalo, uh, Bills territory there in New York, I think it's important that they keep him out and rest him. And that matchup we will find out. You can catch it on Fox Sunday, November 4th, two days before the Governor Elections Day in Illinois. That is a noon p.m. kickoff. Now heading into the Chicago Bulls. Clayton, this is the first time we've talked Bulls action since the summer when we covered the draft. So I'm, I've been very excited to talk about the Bulls right now. But there's not a lot of good things to say right now no, at this point. No. As, you know, they bring in Jabari Parker, uh, a really good center, I think, long-term. The pair of Thayer Markkinen and Wendell Carter Jr., a uh, good four to complement with Denzel Valentine and Chandler Hutchison. But this Bulls team's two and five, and uh, I guess it's nice that they're not last place, courtesy of uh, LeBron going to L.A. We appreciate him uh, giving us a chance in the uh, Central Conference in the uh, East. But Cavs aren't doing too well. You know, they they're looking for a new coach still, but we have injury, and I think it, this is what the record is reflected due to. Three injuries of Denzel Valentine. Chris Dunn's out six weeks, so we'll probably the way it's looking get him back in about a month. Larry Markin's been out three weeks, three, four weeks now. So we'll get him back soon, hopefully. But we don't want to rush those two, three guys, because they're main focal points of this future. But I think Javari Parker's been doing really great. There were a lot of questions the last month before the season started about his attitude off the bench. But I think he's fine. I think he was just getting used to – I wouldn't say it's what we saw at Dwayne Wade, but – when you're coming to play for your hometown team, you're going to have nerves. You're going to have stress. You're going to have a slight ego like, hey, I'm playing at home. i got to do this. i got to do that. You know, I'm going to still play on my team, but I want to do this for myself. I think Jabari is a stand-up guy. You know, you could tell from the interview. This is how I like to approach what I think of a player um, in any situation. I like to see how they approach their press conference You because you can see the body language, the way they talk about the team they're coming to, and they give that respect to the team before that they played for as well, the coaching there and everything. Jabari's a real great guy from what I could tell. Um, I've seen him playing a little bit. I didn't see a lot of him with the Bucks, but I saw the matchups he had against the Bulls. And I like what I'm seeing right now from this team. You know, there's guys stepping up. Justin Holiday has stepped up very well in place of Denzel Valentine. I gave him a lot of credit for that. Uh, Zach Levine. Uh, Cameron Payne finally is doing what we wished he would after we gave up Doug McDermott and probably one of my favorite Bulls in history that I miss on the team, Taj Gibson. Uh, but campaign is finally showing uh, what he can do. But we have another good point guard even to add to that. Uh, Clayton, I'm sure you're excited about him too because he's from the state of Illinois. Uh, good old Mary Catholic High School, Tyler Ewis, joined the hometown Bulls. I love the hometown players come back. I wish uh, a player due to high heart Derrick Rose come back, but that's uh, another story for another episode. Uh, what are your thoughts on the rough start the Bulls have had this season? Uh, do you maybe think it's more than just the injuries, or what are you thinking right now? Uh, no, I think an injuries definitely play a big part in it. I don't think the rough start is surprising. Um, 
you didn't expect the Bulls to be a, a very good team this year. They're very young. You're just hoping some guys pan out. And, like, so far, it looks like Wendell Carter is going to be a very good pickup. He's averaging close to double-digit rebounds, I believe, on a per-game basis. And uh, Zach Levine, uh, he's scoring 30 points more nights than he's not. So he's showing the ability to really get to the rim. He's, he's making a lot of threes. He's making it at a high clip. So he's looking good. The thing that's really holding the Bulls back, I, well, and I think when we get like guys like Markinen and Chris Dunback, like we're a very deep team. The only thing that's still holding us back is we don't have that that really big superstar. We need like one guy that can just take a game over. Like when the rest of the team's struggling a little bit, he can put the offense on his back for a couple minutes and just get us through it. With that, and that's what we're missing currently. And I think it needs to come at the small forward position. I think that's our weak spot. I mean, I know we have Holiday, and, he, and he's solid. He's but. He would be very good coming off the bench. He'd be a very good bench guy to have in there. He'd kind of be like Iguodala a little bit, is what he reminds me of. Oh, Iguodala's a great yeah. player. Yeah, I, yeah. I mean, another Illinois, another Illinois guy that you'd love to see on the Bulls at some Along point. Along with Sean Livingston. Yep, yep. But yeah, so I mean, I don't, I don't think it's surprising. I do like the pieces we have. I think it. I think we're a few years away from being very good. I think we could be. I think next year we could definitely go over 500. I don't think we go a lot over 500. But I think we're going to keep building that this team. I think this team could get very good in a couple years down the road. Yeah, and I agree. But I, I'm I'm going to go with the superstar thing that you're saying. I agree with that a lot. You know, there's going to be guys available. I don't see a Jimmy Butler reunion. I think the Bulls. No. And, yeah. You know, I, I mean, not just the rich. front office end, but I don't. What I've been seeing with Jimmy, I don't think something. Yeah. We don't want a player with that type of. No nope. diva. Inf- exactly. But I don't even see a Kawhi Leonard coming here. But just because he's going to probably go to L.A. But I think the Bulls have a star there, but the question will be, you know, we're hoping that Larry Marketing grows in that. I think he can. He's a really great power forward, can play center. The guy can shoot threes. Very uh, much reminds me of Dirk. Exactly. I'm gonna. Prime Dirk. I'm gonna go with that comparison as well. Uh, a lot of people have made that one also yeah. in the uh, media. But the big thing, this is a quick closing question. I'm gonna give you, Clayton. The thing a lot of people have been talking about with the Bulls is defense. But the nice thing we've seen, even in some of these losses. Those players we didn't see a lot of defense from coming into Chicago, like historically in their careers, you know, Jabari and uh, Zach Levine as well, those guys are building that defense right now. I think the main problem with the Bulls defense isn't the isn't like the effort. I think it's kind of the communication right now. I don't think they're defending well like as a group. It's like I mean, guys are trying out there, but it doesn't seem like the communications there. Like they're having very obvious breakdowns on defense. Like they're not switching properly, and they're just letting like they're letting a lot of free runs to the rim, and that's obviously going to hurt you. And then obviously against the Warriors, nobody was guarding the three point line, so that I mean that's going to hurt. Clay Thompson getting fifty two there. Yeah, what he went for like fourteen three, set a record, beating his teammate Steph Curry's record. Yeah, so I mean that was tough, but at the same time. you, you definitely weren't expecting to stop the Warriors' offense, but they did have a very good game. So, But I think it just comes down to communication, and that might that might get better when you get like Markinen and Chris Dunn, some of the guys that have been around Hoiberg uh, for more time back in the lineup. And that's going to be really important. Fred Hoiberg, I think – I wouldn't say the Bulls are going to fire him after this year. Now, that will happen with a lot of coaches that aren't doing too well, you know, being with the team for three years, like with the Bears and John Fox and everything like that. But I don't think – Fred Harburg is going to be that soon to let go. And the Bulls right now are actually in a close game. We're going to mention it. It's at halftime on Halloween night. They are playing the Denver Nuggets. The Denver Nuggets are probably They're the biggest coming. Exactly. Yeah. The biggest surprise team. We're not seeing Michael Porter Jr. yet, but they're 5-1. and one. Uh, The Bulls are in halftime currently with that, and they're going to have some other games coming up this weekend 
and uh, towards the end of the week here, just to pull them up here. They are off, the Bulls are off tomorrow uh, after a game against Nuggets, but they have a home they have a, a home game in a co conference play against the Indiana division rival Indiana Pacers. So Old Depot and his crew will be coming to the Windy City for that matchup, as well as the Bulls hosting the Rockets. So that's going to be a big two games Friday. That will be a 7 p.m. night tip-off. And the tip-off Saturday night against the Houston Rockets at uh, United Center against the Bulls. Now we're going to go into the MLB offseason. We're not going to talk too much about it because there's not too much going on yet. But in about a week or so, we're going to be seeing that free agent frenzy that people have been looking forward to. And the two names that top that list are Bryce Harper and Manny Machado. But there's still some names I'm going to add to it that are very impactful. I talked about it. When Isaac Missler joined the show uh, on one of the last two episodes here, uh, the last episode actually, we were talking about you know what will happen after the World Series with the offseason, maybe thoughts on both sides after the Cubs and Sox are done. Um, there's guys like Andrew McCutcheon, Dallas Keuchel, Andrew Miller, you know Craig Kimbrell, a lot of good veterans. Yeah. Josh Donaldson is going to be one that is going to probably be a nice mid-tier player that somebody gets a steal on contract-wise. But we're going to start with the you know the Cubs. Uh, signed a new pitcher. Uh, they got him on a waiver claim from the Kansas City Royals. They are bringing back uh, Brandon Kinsler, who they got in the trade with the Minnesota Twins. There, he's going to be coming back. So we're going to keep you guys updated on the Cubs moving forward uh, as the offseason continues. The White Sox, they brought back a player that I'm a big Chris Sale fan, so I was excited to see what he did. First off, uh, congratulations to Chris Sale and the Boston Red Sox on their uh, fourth straight World Series in 2014. 2004. That was a well-deserved yeah. uh, victory. A good built Dominant, team there. Yeah. Incredible to watch. You know, I'm a dire Chris Hill fan at heart. He did a lot for you know fans like me in the city of Chicago uh, with the White Sox. So I'm grateful to him for that and what he did for the city. Uh, so it's good to see him win over there. Um, still wearing socks. Little air quotes there I'm putting. <laughs> yeah. But uh, this is a White Sox team that brought back a reliever that I feel is one of the most important parts. He's very underrated because he's been a little injury prone in some years. But I still even remember what he did as rookie year. It was 8-0 record. My favorite reliever in all of baseball, Nate Jones, is coming back in the White Sox, black and white, where he belongs with these young relievers to mentor, even the ones that are probably going to come up throughout the uh, you know, spring training and those young arms we have in the uh, minors. But we finally let go of the pitcher. Now, I'm going to give him some credit. He wasn't the best pitcher we uh, could acquire in a trade since we sent Fernando uh, Tatis Jr., the new, young, budding, future superstar for the Padres at shortstop there. So we kind of let a good one get away there. But uh, we have Tim Anderson, of course, at shortstop. Yeah, Tim, I, but, I like Tim Anderson. Oh, I'm a I big think, Anderson guy. I'm very guy. high on him. I'm a big Tim Anderson fan, Clayton. Uh, but we let James Shields go. I think it was on good terms. You know, he was a good veteran that had um, a good report with the young pitchers. So he was able to give something while I was here to those young pitchers. You know, the experience and lessons. That's what we, he needed to do. But the question will be what pitcher the White Sox can bring in. And I'm going to I'm gonna ask you the big question. Now, it's going to get into the Cardinals here as well because uh, this is a guy that was connected to the Cardinals and rumors as well as the White Sox, Manny Machado. Now, I, I don't think too much about the postseason antics because if there was that on top of regular season ones, maybe we'd have a different, like a bigger story wise to maybe talk about that in terms of what he can get in the offseason, you know, money-wise or what team gives him how much. But I think Rick Hahn's going to – he's going to have the best chance he can right here, but it's also not just Rick Hahn fulfilling his dream of bringing Manny Machado here like he's wanted to, you know, even when the Sox were making the biggest competitive offer before the Dodgers got him in that trade deadline this past year. 
Uh, it's going to come down to what people see as a GM out of him. You know, he's got all this money for the team. And if you look at it financially, you know, we're, we're, we're con majors. We're not financial majors. But we'll leave that to the business guys. But $10 million is what we're seeing with arbitration money, the uh, cheap, good, uh, long-term uh, contracts from young players in the minors right now. Um, guys like Eli and those guys will be getting with the Sox. But it's a lot of money on the payroll. And I think the White Sox are going to bring in some really good starters. I could probably see a Corbin that's going to be competitive, though, with the, the Yankees. I... I wouldn't mind if they signed a guy like J.A. Happ. Now, you're probably thinking, why would they, I want them to sign another old pitcher after James Shields left? But J.A. Happ is a really great lefty. They got some good arms, you know, righty and lefty, but they, I don't think they have enough veteran lefties in baseball to go around like that to where you can just sign one, you know, say in 2020 when the Sox are ready to compete. They're even hard to trade for. You can't always find the great one. So I think J.A. Happ might be a good four or five starter to go with, Giolito, Ronaldo, and so forth, but I think Manny Machado deserves to come to the Sox. I think just because of his near nationality with some of those players we have right now, Tim Anderson, uh, Moncada, Eloy, Robert, and a lot of those guys, even with Abreu, I feel like he could be a good leader. I feel like he deserves to be that focal point for the Sox, but I think what the Sox need to do is they need to sit down with his agent and say, hey, maybe... Why did those antics happen? What's Manny Machado maybe going through if he's going through something? Because players could always be hiding it by acting out like that. You know, we've seen that happen with a lot, even average people before. But I think he deserves a good contract from the Sox. And it, I think it's the Sox luck that the Yankees are shying away right now, as we've been hearing in the media from both Harper and Machado. I think the biggest competition right now uh, for the Sox getting Machado is going to be the Philadelphia Phillies. I think the Phillies are going to be going for Bryce Harper. I don't think the Cubs have the money, you know, after they gave it. Now, let's say they didn't give that money to Jason Hayward. Of course, it would have been a different situation had they not won without him or anything like that. You know, we, that would take a little too much time to get into right now. But then they'd have that money for Harper, you know, to pair him with his buddy, Chris Bryant. They all ride off in the sunset. But I think Bryce Harper is going to go to Philly. There's no question there. Uh, I can see the Sox right now. They're probably, you know, working on that bullpen. I can see them adding an Andrew Miller. Um, for a good three-year deal, and uh, Manny Machado as well. They still have a lot of money left uh, that I think should be saved. I mean, they're going to find third base. I wouldn't mind seeing Mike Moustakas come over to Chicago for three years. They've been projecting him in Sox trade rumors for about four years. So you bring those three guys in. You know, you still have Madrigal, Timmy, and uh, Moncada. Moncada actually can move to third. So if we get Machado, I don't even think they'll get Moose. But just a quick uh, thought on the Sox. What are you thinking of what they can maybe do in the offseason? What are your thoughts on possibly Machado coming to the South Side? Yeah, I just think personally, I know it's like everybody in the media is saying that the Yankees are currently shying away from him. But for whatever reason, I just get the feeling that Manny Machado wants to be a Yankee. I feel like he wants to win now. He, you know, he already played all those seasons with Baltimore where he's trying to put like, you know, he's trying to be the guy, put the team on his back. I think he kind of just wants to be, like, another guy on a good team. Like, not just another guy. Like, he wants to be, like, a good player on a good team. But not too much pressure. Yeah, like, saying. he doesn't want to have the whole load on his back. Again, like, he, I think he strikes me as a guy that's definitely looking to, like, win now. Like, win a World Series now. Especially after since Chris Sale just yeah. struck him out and out number three there. Yeah, and for that reason as well, I, I could also see him staying with the, with the Dodgers. Interesting, but uh, that would also leave the question of what happens with Seager, too. Yeah, yeah, but I mean, I think if you can get Machado, then you can lose Seager. Interesting. Personally. That's very interesting. Yeah. I, I personally, I love Manny Machado. I think he's like 
Probably top. I think five. you're ready to put him in Cardinals red already. Oh, I would love, I would love for Manny Machado to be a St. Louis Cardinal next year. I don't think it's gonna happen because I just think he's gonna like. I think I could see like a Paul George OKC type thing happening with him and the Dodgers, where he just kind of liked the team. He had a good run with them there. Kind of made some friend, like you know, made some friends on the team. So he, now he wants to stay. He's got a little bit of a connection, like the like the city maybe. And then if he doesn't, you know, I think he's just he like like Paul George as well. Instead of the Lakers, it'll be New York Yankees. Very so. interesting. Uh, that's a very valid comparison. I'm gonna I'm gonna stick with my hometown team on this one. I think that Rick Hahn finally pulls it in and he shows the fans yeah. we can make what would probably be the biggest salary commitment. But I, that's the beauty of opt outs. I think they'll probably add some opt outs in there. Uh, Rick Kahn, I think, is similar to Ryan Pace, where he's smart with the contracts he gives out. He wasn't the one that gave out that contract to Adam Dunn. That was Kenny Williams. But since we've had Rick Hahn, we've seen players that are not just signed to good, affordable contracts on the Sox. Uh, I'm going to quote the Melky Cabrera one. Uh, but I think it's he gets players the right money for the way they can play. And now I'm going to tie it in the St. Louis Cardinals. One of your buddies, uh, one of the long-term Cardinals that will be in their Hall of Fame, no doubt, one of the greatest pitchers for the, in Cardinals history, Adam Wainwright is back with the team for a one-year deal with $2 million. I know you had some mixed thoughts on yeah. that. So why don't you tell us about that and maybe uh, what you're wanting to see with the Cardinals offseason. Yeah, I mean, I love Adam Wainwright. I got an Adam Wainwright jersey. He was one of my heroes growing up. But I did think it was time for him to retire. He's getting pretty old. He had a pretty bad year this year. I don't really see it getting much better. I could be wrong. He, I mean, he's got a great curveball still. His fastball is definitely losing velocity. But, I mean, I guess we'll just have to wait and see. But for the Cardinals, I just think we, we definitely need to pick a coach. We need to, we need to just we need to nail that down. And we also need to fill holes. And I, I think we have a big hole at second base. I don't like Colton Wong. I, I, he's we'll got take him on the south side if you want to trade him to I'd love to see him on the bench. I think he'd be a great bench option, you know, like what Joe Mann does. You know, throw him late in the game, get some defense after you got a lead. He can run the base path well. That sounds pretty good, man. Yeah, I like that. Yeah, he'd be great coming off the bench. Like I don't want, I don't want him off the team, but I don't think I want him as our like everyday starting second baseman. Um, Would you see them getting a Brian Dozier? I'm just gonna interject there. Could you see a veteran like Brian Dozier fitting yeah, in? No, I would like like a Brian Dozier would work. But even like what I was gonna say, like if we did get Manny Machado, we could easily just move like Paul DeYoung to second base. Fellow Redbird right yeah, there yeah, in our yeah, lineup shout there. Shout out to Redbirds because I mean Paul DeYoung, he's been he's been a monster. He didn't have he had a little bit of a down year this year. He, he was a little injured, but I, I definitely think he'll bounce back. He had a great rookie season. So I but that's base that's our main hole. I really like our outfield. I think we have a very good outfield. Uh, Harrison Bader came out strong. I think he's I think he has a shot. Real good young player, right? Yeah, there. one of the better outfielders in the league in, in the near future. I like Ozuna. Um, so I, I like a lot of our pieces. Yachty's getting old, so we got to try and win now. Still one of the best catchers Yeah, he's still one baseball. of the best catchers, but you don't know how many years left he's got on those knees. I mean, he's got a lot of innings down there. Well, you guys have Carson Kelly coming up too, which will probably be yeah, exciting. Yeah, I like Carson Kelly as well, but at the same like he's no Yachty or Molina. So what do you see with their pitching? They got Carlos Martinez. They got, you know, Wainwright coming back. It almost seems like, from what I've been reading, they have similar issues in the bullpen like the White Sox. So yeah. could you see them maybe adding a Craig Kimbrell or maybe I, one of those top arms out there? I mean, if we added a Craig Kimbrell, that would obviously be huge, the best closers in the game, and we don't have a closer. Uh, we signed Greg Holland to that deal, like, first week of the season, and that didn't—that was a huge flop. We gave him a lot of money, too. So that was a big mistake. Uh, we had Bud Norris in there for a little bit, and he, he actually he held it down for a little bit and then kind of down the stretch when 
we ended up missing the playoffs by a couple games. He really he started blowing some games there at the end, so that was kind of pivotal. I don't know. If, I don't know if it had. He's to a do very with, interesting arm. Yeah, I don't know if it had to do with the pressure of like late in the season getting to him or not, but so that I, I like him. I don't like him as the closer. So yeah, I mean, if you can add a Craig Kimbrell, that would obviously be huge. Um, and I actually like Carlos Martinez coming out of the bullpen. Oh, he's a great yeah, starter. Yeah, I see. I like him coming out of the bullpen. You mean like in a playoff game like situation? Just come, if he's no, not like I like him coming out of the bullpen all the time. So you don't want him even starting yeah. in a rotation? Though. I mean, I don't care if he starts. I don't mind if he starts. Okay. But I actually like him more when he comes out of the bullpen because like, he's fiery. He comes in there, and I, and I like him as like an extended kind of bullpen guy. Like he goes two innings or like two and a third, something like that. Like not just one inning. He's got some pitches. He can like work them in real well. He's got he's got that intensity. He comes out hot. He can just catch batters off guard with that intensity in like the fifth inning, sixth inning. I really like that, personally, because I don't think our starters are going to be great. So I think if you have a guy like that in the bullpen, he could pick up a lot of the slack on some of those nights. And we're talking about the offseason right now. It's a very exciting point for uh, any baseball team that's still aspiring to get back to a World Series uh, situation. And the Sox and Cards and the Cubs aren't too far away. They all have their chances, like all the various Major League Baseball teams, where in free agency, we've seen it with the NFL. Uh, We saw that with the Chicago Bears, and the Cleo Mack trade after. It can change a team in an instant. We will keep you posted moving forward on the Chicago White Sox, the St. Louis Cardinals a bit here and there. We have a <laughs> Cards fan come back on, or fans that want to hear about the Cards, along with the Chicago Cubs offseasons as they move forward, respectively. Now we're heading into the final part of the show, Clayton. It, time flies when you're having fun. We've had a great time tonight, as usual, on this Will's fifth quarter special, fifth quarter sports talk, but it is time for Will's sports movie moment. We all have our favorite moments, not just in the sports we watch, but in our own favorite sports movies. This segment gives myself, my guest host, and our listeners at home a chance to pick their favorite moment from their favorite sports movie and compare it to modern day sports. Listeners can now hop onto the podcast Facebook and Twitter page and post their own sports movie moment favorite with the chance moving forward to have it read and featured on Will's fifth quarter special feature episodes. We, For the first time tonight in Will's fifth quarter special history, on episode 21, on this Halloween night, we have a special movie moment from NFL Network analyst and NFL Fantasy Live, Marcus Grant himself, and it will be followed by Clayton, who will pick his, and I'll pick mine. But Well, as much as I work in football and enjoy football, baseball has always really been my first love. That's been the sport that I grew up watching and playing and, and just really loved to my core. Uh, and, well... Immediately, the first thing I thought of was the scene at the end of The Natural, when Roy Hobbs, near the end of his career, comes to the plate in a pinch hit appearance, hits that grand home run that busts the light and sparks come raining down. It's that classic scene with the music playing. It's fantastic. And, well, as a Dodger fan whose heart right now is broken because of the World Series, uh, I immediately flash back to 1988. I mean, The Natural came out in 1984. Four years later, 1988, it was Kirk Gibson, an old kind of broken-down veteran near the end of his career who came to the plate facing the hardest-throwing closer in the major leagues at the time in Dennis Eckersley and hitting a two-run pinch-hit homer in the bottom of the ninth in Game 1 of the World Series to uh, give the Dodgers a 1-0 lead. They would go on and win that series in five games and uh, take the World Series title. No lights were broken, though, uh, in the real version of that with Kirk Gibson, but there were some taillights trailing out of Dodger Stadium, and you watch the replay on that one. But it's always two things that sort of felt uh, very close to one another, and the fact that they were, you know, they happened so close to one another chronologically, just four years apart, I think sort of makes it special. Clayton, we just heard Marcus Grants, and now you're next. You're uh, 
Uh, going from on deck to uh, at the plate, sir. Going to use a baseball reference there. So what is your first ever Will Sports movie moment choice? Yeah, so I, I had a couple movies in mind, but the one that I think that I thought that I had to go with uh, is going to be from the movie Miracle. So the USA hockey team that had that, that amazing run ended up beating uh, Russia in the final. Um, and I, in, in particular, the scene where Herb Brooks gives the speech pregame. Uh, he talks about he he talks a lot about getting in like the right state of mind and just like believing in yourself and like if it's one game like you, if you believe in yourself like you can beat that other team one game you've earned your right to be in the building and if you've earned that right then you can you truly can win and I think that this relates to a lot of of things in, in the modern day sports uh, but one thing that was just like recently in my mind that was also like a really big deal I guess was. Last year in the NCAA tournament, when the Loyola Ramblers were able to make it to the Final Four, I mean, they clearly weren't the best team on the court every game, but they definitely believed in each other. They played as a team. They played hard. They played with heart, and it took them to a high level, and I think that, I just think that that's where that movie relates. No, I love that. That's a slam-dunk comparison right there. I like... Now, I wasn't – I'm not a big Loyola fan, but just because yeah, I was I – mean, you know, I'm from near that Redford, area in Chicago. You know, I, mean, but, I don't like Loyola. No, yeah, much, but, but the reason I kind of supported them to a certain level, and you know, I was I wouldn't even say support, but I was happy for them still, yeah. even supporting uh, as a, you know, guy in the Chicago – living in the Chicago line area that grew up there. Um, just seeing those guys, they put a lot of effort, like you mentioned, but yeah. they wanted it more than anything. They were so excited, you know, with their families and uh, the uh, – young the older nun that was like part of that uh you know sister jean and all that yeah. stuff that was really cool for the the area you know people and religious and everything but i love that movie choice mine is gonna be an interesting one it's probably one i've talked about before it's gonna be i'm trying to i had it on top of my head it's halloween so that kind of spooks your head around a little bit you know those ghosts and skeletons freaking you out these times but I'm going to go with a Rocky movie. I have to go with a Rocky movie. Yeah. I went with one in the last episode. It's going to be Rocky Six. It's uh, called Rocky Balboa. It's the one that Sylvester Stallone helped write and put together. Uh, he didn't He didn't do uh, the fifth one. You know, It was John Avildsen, the well-known director that uh, directed the famous Karate Kid movies in the 80s. Got to love those Karate Kid movies with good old Mr. Miyagi to wax on, wax off. But... <laughs> Um, he did that for Rocky V, and um, we're not going to talk about Rocky V. That's probably not the best one in the series, uh, kind of the, you know, one of all of them. But Rocky VI, you know, Rocky's older part of his, uh, you know, uh, life, and, you know, his wife dies of cancer, and he's – there's a video game fight that he sees on ESPN. His son sees it. His son, you know, is going through some tough stuff. You know, he's in, you know, the job world, and he's letting people get the best of him. He's like – you know, selling himself short and everything, letting people affect his self-esteem. You know, kind of, and Rocky gives a speech, and it's going to connect to what you said about Herb Brooks and uh, yeah. Miracle. He gives a speech about, to his son, you know, the world ain't all full of sunshine and rainbows. It will beat you to your knees if you let it. But it's not about how hard to hit. It's about how you keep getting hit and keep moving forward. Uh, that The Rocky stuff stands out to me so much. You know, when I was in high school, uh, you know, running cross country, uh, my senior year, there was a lot of competition. But that stuff just changed my life. It inspired me. I was already a very confident person and very positive the way I was, you know, brought up and just my personality as a whole. But seeing something like that as a fan of those movies and just that scene especially, it uh, it changes you. You know, it, it makes you really think about things in your life 
and uh, competitively in sports, it builds you up and you know just motivates you. I'm going to compare it to the Illinois State volleyball team, actually. I was going to compare it to football, but the reason I compare it to volleyball is because you know, a new coach came in last year. These were, you know, these are five seniors right now that are playing two years under one coach in Melissa Myers and two under a new system in coach Leah Johnson. So I think what coach Johnson did this year is similar to what she did last year, but this is the first time she had a, a full off season with her team, you know, because when you come in, you're not going to have all that time in a full off season that a good a coach with a team already would have. So I think it compares completely to that team just because of what they did. And I know it's kind of hard to compare boxing to, like, you know, more bigger player team-sized sports. But, you know, Rocky had that speech with his son. It helped his relationship with the son. And Rocky uh, just kicked butt in that fight against Mason Line Dixon, gave him a good show in his last ever fight in his career. And the reason I even compare it to that level, Clayton, and I'm sure you're going to probably connect the dots here after I mention it, these five seniors we talked about, their last regular season game at home, you know, in front of their fans, you know, their loved ones, their significant others possibly, it's Saturday night. You know, it's kind of like that last fight Rocky had with Mason Dixon. It's kind of like, you know, the, the seniors are facing those young, playing with the young players, you know, on ISU facing a younger Northern Iowa team with some veterans, but <coughs> it's a big thing for those seniors. It's because it's kind of like a reversal, like one group's going out, the other group's coming in, you know, into a new role for the future. And that's kind of what you saw with Mason the Line Dixon and Rocky. You know, Rocky was the older part, you know, the well-respected, you know, historical legacy. And then Mason's the young guy that maybe just needed a lesson. That's not with the volleyball team, but the way I'm comparing it is the true heart that both sides have. And I think that's going to reign true Saturday night. It's going to be probably a game, not just you know, people like me and uh, Scott Rosala um, will remember it for broadcasting that such a great game. But it's going to be something fans in attendance remember as the, what those five seniors did in those four years for this team, how much heart they gave, how much sweat they gave on the court for the fans that have always supported Red River Volleyball. But I think it's just a, an important one to talk about like that. Just kind of talk about volleyball, not just in, hey, we hope they win, but what it means to us, uh, you know, to thank those seniors, you know, yeah. Courtney Pence, Jordan Weatherless, uh, both Lexi Wall and Lexi Varga, and Allie Line as well, just to thank them for what they did. I'm going to do that personally here, just as a fan of River Volleyball, to um, thank them for what they've done for ISU Volleyball and, you know, best moving forward. But I just had to make that comparison. It was a very sentimental thing that this show in episode 21 had to talk about, and that's my Will Sports Movie Moment, and that is all the time we have in episode 21 of Will's 5th Quarter Special. Tune in next time to a special second monthly Facebook Live this month coming up soon for more 5th Quarter Sports Talk. That'll be next week with a review of the guest co-host and a surprise I'm working on. We'll hope it comes through uh, for episode 22 along with Sports Talk. Uh, more ISU men's basketball and women's basketball non-conference play talk as that will uh, continue next week and moving forward. I want to thank Clayton Barakani for coming out tonight as a guest host and what was a fun time talking sports. So Clayton, hope you enjoyed your first time and many more moving forward, whether it's in person while I'm here uh, before graduation or a call and after I'm back home out for the show. But uh, you're a great sports fan. You've become a really good friend to me uh, at WZND working alongside you from uh, your journey to web editor to uh, being on staff now, which I got to give you credit. You're doing a great job. Thank but you. 
you're really you're a good friend to me, and I just appreciate you coming on the show, man. Yeah, so thanks, thanks for, for coming. Me. It was fun. A special thanks also goes to NFL Network analyst Marcus Grant for being a part of the show, joining in on the fifth quarter sports talk. So thank you, Marcus. We heal Will's fifth quarter special with you. Nothing but great success in your career moving forward. When the fourth quarter buzzer sounds, turn to us for your fifth quarter sports talk. I'm your host, Will Farr, along with NFL Network and NFL Fantasy Live analyst Marcus Grant and Clayton Barakani saying so long from Will's fifth quarter special. Hey, if you want to hear more fifth quarter sports talk, you can check out all of Will's fifth quarter specials at WilliamDFarlow.com. Get on in, join the sports conversation, share any opinions or thoughts on all things sports. Head to the Twitter page at William D. Farlow. The fifth quarter never stops here at Will's fifth quarter special.